You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 128 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Rocky Lalvani. Rocky serves as Chief Profitability Officer for many business owners. He mainly teaches business owners how to make sure that profit is a priority in their business. Essentially, what he's trying to teach you on this episode is how to take the traditional formula of sales minus expenses equals profits and turn that formula into sales minus profits equals expenses. By changing the formula in this way, you can ensure that profit comes first. But as Rocky will tell you on this episode, just because you're trying to prioritize profits doesn't mean that people don't come before profit. During the episode, you'll hear us talk about the power of compounding, the power of having great coaches, mentors, and masterminds in your corner, and how baby steps can turn into big results. Here are the self-made strategies of Rocky Lalvani. You're a chief profitability officer. What does that mean exactly to the business owners that you work with? Um, so basically what that means is I focus on helping them to always be profitable. And that's the purpose of business, right? I mean, if you're not profitable, you're not going to stay in business. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so many business owners really do make that mistake when they dive into getting started. And I know that's something that you want to talk about and we will just how to get started in general is an important step, right? More than anything else, you can plan until you're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, you have to execute, right? So you have to go into the breach. But the major issue is how do you price things when you're starting out, right? And how do you make sure that you're pricing yourself, especially early on? And I think every single entrepreneur, when they go into becoming a business owner, right? Starting their their baby, so to speak, they're very delicate with it. And they're, and they're still very hesitant to say, I'm going to charge what the market dictates because they're just trying to get some momentum going in that direction, right? So let's what, what's your advice to those individuals who are, and by the way, this doesn't mean necessarily brand new entrepreneur, right? Even seasoned entrepreneurs, and especially now in pandemic mode or post-pandemic mode, wherever we are in that life cycle, might be starting side hustles or other businesses or we're starting something new or going into a new area that presents an opportunity. And anytime that that happens, no matter how seasoned you are, it's it's almost like we revert back to that, right? So what's your advice? What's your best practice for entrepreneurs who are looking to really refocus their business on profit, especially now post-pandemic? So I think number one, you, you have to work the numbers backwards. So figure out what is the lifestyle that you need? What do you need to bring home? And then work backwards. So what is it going to, what do you need in sales? And when I say, what do you need in sales? It's also, what are all the costs of the sales? What is it going to cost you to deliver the product? Let's not forget you need a phone and a computer and a, this software and whatever it is, because every business is different. Every business has its own needs. Once you start subtracting all of that, what does that leave you with? And is it funding your lifestyle? So we want 
your life should should build your business. Your business shouldn't build your life, right? So you've got to figure out first and foremost, what is it that you want? What is it going to cost you to do that? And then does the business you're going in, will it support that or not? You can do the math. The math is not very difficult. Most of the math is third grade. A lot of it can be done back of napkin. And you can at least ask yourself, do I have a viable business that's going to support my lifestyle or am I constantly going to be behind the eight ball? Um, and then you can test the market. So I've, I've heard stories, you know, especially like the landscaping guys, they, they do what you kind of said. Well, the market says I can, this is what to charge. When they actually run the numbers, they realize, well, I, I can't make any money doing it at that rate. Right. Nobody actually did the math to say, hey, maybe that's what the market charges, but I can't survive on that. And so that's why I think it's most important to do that. And the other thing is you shouldn't be afraid to, and this is more on the services side. Mm -hmm. If you're the cheapest service provider, you're going to get clients that want cheap services and that are a pain. If, if you're the higher cost provider, you're going to get clients that want better services and are willing to pay for it. And so it's not yet. As a matter of fact, I've heard so many stories, especially in the coaching space or in that space, that if you're not charging a reasonable rate, you won't even get considered. Well, and I think a lot of us have, you know, everyone has that, that uh, imposter syndrome. And that's where I think you run into the pricing issue, that you're afraid to charge what you really need to charge and what the market is expecting. And so that's, it's, it's important to sit down and think through these things because otherwise you're constantly struggling. And at the end of the month, you're like, Hey, I, I did all this work. Where is my reward for all of this? Why didn't I get compensated? It's because you didn't set your pricing correctly, or you didn't look at what your costs were and build the margin to be able to handle that. It's usually those clients, you're right, who are the the sort of the cheaper clients who are tire kicking, who are arguing with you and negotiating with you over every little thing, who are, are negotiating and focused on price versus the quality and the value that you bring. You really, it, it's tough though when, when it's early on, right? Let, let's be frank. It's very difficult when it's early on. And if you're struggling from month to month, to make whatever quota you've set for yourself, it's really tough. It's tough to turn down those clients. It's tough to to say to someone, you know what, I'm not going to negotiate on price. Clearly, we're not a good fit for each other. But when you do get to that phase, you do realize that that is one of the truest mantras in business is that the cheaper clients are always the ones that give you the hardest time, that really try to squeeze every ounce of the lemonade out of the rind and just make it really difficult to be successful, right? To have a successful relationship. And then the really great clients are usually the ones that say, this is the service I'm looking for. I like you. I like what you bring to the table and the value that you're about to add. Let's do it. Let's work together, right? So what's your advice to those individuals who are kind of stuck in that rut and are taking on just on a regular basis? Because another issue is usually those clients that cost uh, that are providing you with the lowest level of fees 
let's say, bottom 20% or so and are tire kicking and really trying to get the most out of the, the least amount expended, those are usually the ones that also take up the most amount of time to not only fulfill and meet, meet whatever the obligations were that you set forth in the relationship, but also just in general. They're the ones that call you late at night, the ones that call you after hours, text you after hours, email you multiple times over the most minute issues. So what what's your advice there? What do we do as entrepreneurs who are struggling to make ends meet, especially in this sort of pseudo now frenzy post-pandemic? What do we do to get to that next level? What's What's the best way to get there? So I think that's different for everyone. You know, the question I have for you is, how did you get to that place in the first place? You know, are you 22 years old and out of college? It's always nice to have a runway. Because if you have a runway, then you have the time to be able to build these things and to be able to say no up front. I think that's one of the things. Everyone expects instant success. Oh, I can do this in three months. Things always go wrong. Clients always say, yes, I'll sign up, and then life happens. And so you've got to build the margin in. I think the problem is if you take on these these cheaper clients, you're going to start to get into a rat race struggle. And you've got to ask yourself, how are you going to get out of that? And that's not easy. I mean, that takes time. So if you can keep from going into it, keep from going into it. Maybe that's taking a part-time job where you're, you've got a consulting gig for 10 hours a week that's helping you pay your bills, and then you're spending the rest of the time working on a higher level business. But you've got to figure out how that works for you instead of just saying, you can't just say yes, 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 because you will immediately bury yourself. Yeah, that's true. So- First of all, how did you become, how did you, what was your journey? What's your origin story to getting to becoming a chief profitability advisor for these individuals, right? How did that happen? So that is a long roundabout journey (laughs) with a lot of uh, mistakes along the way, shall we say it? So. I'm an immigrant to the U.S. I came here when I was little. One of the things that was unique to us that I didn't realize was unique until much later in life is my parents would get together with their friends and they would talk about money. So money and negotiating and how you were spending and how you were earning were natural conversations. So I grew up understanding money. And when I was a kid, I was like, I want to be a millionaire. So I just plotted out, you know, what's the math to become a millionaire? I'm like, okay, this is the path. And I started working on that. When I was in high school, the first PC started coming out. And so I actually was teaching accountants in high school how to go from paper ledgers to VisiCalc. VisiCalc was the first spreadsheet that was out there. And went to college, did all that stuff. I came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to teach people how to use spreadsheets. There's a slight problem. The internet hadn't been invented. I didn't know how to get clients. I didn't even know that there was value in creating spreadsheets. In the meantime, I got a good job. And so, you know, good is the enemy of great. And 
had a wonderful life, uh, corporate, um, learned to play the game, always was the numbers guy in the business. Like, hey, I see this. I see that. This is where the problems are. This is how you fix things. Got an MBA, built my wealth. And then I was like, well, what do I really want to do? Because I'm doing this, but it's not my love, right? And I started realizing that I started off in personal finance and helping people who knew how to make money help them to keep money. Because just because you make six figures doesn't mean you're wealthy. Most of them are spending it faster than they're making it. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized something along that journey. Nobody wants to buy the book, How to Get Rich in 10 Years. Everyone wants to buy the book, How to Get Rich Tomorrow. Like, if you can't do it in 72 hours, I don't want to do it, which is why they're still struggling 10 years later. And along that journey, I got introduced to the concept that business owners were no different than those people, that they were not looking at their financials, that they had no idea what was going on. And I got introduced to Profit First and a bunch of these other things. And I'm like, okay, these people need help. They need help today. And business owners are willing to accept help. And so I was like, that is the perfect place for me to be. I'm like, enough of this corporate. Let me go do what I love, what my natural skill sets are. You know, spreadsheets and I are like, it's just the way I live life. Thanksgiving dinner is on a spreadsheet, right? The grocery list is on a spreadsheet designed to follow the order of the store so that you can get in, get out, and you're super focused. And even within businesses, I can look at spreadsheets and go, okay, this customer right here is the reason you're not hitting your goals, or this cost right here is the reason you're not being profitable. And so I realized that there was a dramatic need for this. I realized I had a skill set for it. And then I'm like, well, the other problem is, is how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? And how do you talk to business owners in a language they will understand? So most small business owners don't want, like they really struggle with their bookkeepers and their accountants because they speak a different language. And I'm like, I want to speak the language that entrepreneurs speak, which is number one, how do I be profitable? What do I need to do tomorrow to ensure that I'm profitable? How do I buy the next thing that I need in my business? Can I hire in another employee? And all of those things come down to the numbers. And so that's what I help people do is figure it all out and ensure that the business owner gets paid. Because most often the business owner pays themselves last. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You put up the capital. You put up the work. You deserve to get compensated. You've got to build your foundation before you can build a foundation for others and, and help to make sure that they're strong, too. Yeah, it's a very tough and delicate balance. But before we get into that, where did you immigrate from, if you don't mind me asking? I'm from India. Um, and so when my parents came here, they didn't have very much money. So we started at the bottom. And very quickly, I watched them and their friends start to move up the economic ladder. And I think it was because they were having those conversations, they were learning how to kind of navigate the American system really interesting. And they imparted that entrepreneurial instinct into you, it sounds like, because even as early on as high school, you were already 
working that by teaching accountants how to use spreadsheet software. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, plus I had side businesses. So I was going into New York City, buying stuff, bringing it back, marking it up 100%, selling it to my friends, to teachers. Awesome. So I was always having, you know, the paper route, all the different hustles of, of doing the different things. I just didn't understand the power of scalability. That was another. So there's all these little missing pieces that right. today, right. you know, I'd pick up a book and I could read back then. How do you even find a business book? And and back then, knowledge was gold. So nobody was going to tell you these secrets and how to do stuff. So you'd have to find a mentor, which, you know, back then everyone said, go to college, right? That's the go to college. That's how you become successful. So now, now how, we know that it's not true. <laughs> how did you find your way to scalability, though? What was the life lesson or the the sort of hurdle in the way that caused you to to recognize the need for that? I think it was just constant. Like I'm a natural uh, learner, so I'm constantly reading and learning. And so a lot of that was when I started to say to myself, what do I really want to do? Is I just started getting involved in different uh, groups and different learning things. And it's funny now that I look back and when you look at groups where people are coming together to try and improve and make themselves better, they tend to attract business people more so than employees. And maybe business people have more time and money to do that. So it just naturally got me into that crowd. And I started just learning more and more. And then over time, I start, and that's what all the business owners are talking about. Well, is it scalable, right? How do you make it scalable? Like, okay, wow, this math is actually pretty impressive of how things compound. I wish I had known this and how to do it back in the day. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Really, really interesting story. I, I think that the twists and turns that led you to this point really do make for an interesting origin story. So I know that, did you want to say something? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, and so there's another part of that that I didn't also realize that now I do. And I don't know if you... um. Do, do you read any of Gino Wickman's stuff? No. Uh, Traction? No. Uh, I think I've, okay. I've heard of the book Traction, but I haven't, haven't gotten into it yet. No. But so, now I will. This is an overall theme, and, and Gino isn't the one who invented it. I've heard this in a, in a bunch of ways. The way a company does phenomenal is they have a visionary and they have an implementer. I'm not the visionary. I'm the implementer. And it's finding the visionary who is willing to listen and trust. When you get that type of combination, it really works. That's one of the reasons I uh, partnered with Mike in the Profit First system, because he's the visionary. I'm like, I could do all of this, but this is not what I want to do. <laughs> well, that's really interesting that you say that, because I typically find myself to be more the visionary. Now, mm -hmm. admittedly, I own my own solo law firm right now. And um, we are trying to scale it, of course. And in that, for now, I have to be kind of both, right? I have to be both the implementer and the visionary while I'm trying to grow it. And I think that that's a problem that a lot of entrepreneurs run into, right? Is you're, you're typically one or the other, or at least some, some heavier version of one or the other, right? And can we tell lawyer jokes? Absolutely, please. I love a good lawyer joke. <laughs> so 
this is one that the lawyers taught me. They're like, why'd you go to law school? There's no math class. <laughs> well, that's that is funny. I will tell you this. This is a true story. Uh, when I was younger, I was always stronger in math and science than I was in English. How I ended up in law school is for another day, maybe. But I took the business school route to get there. So when I got to law school, I expected at least some mix of, generally speaking, people like me who went to business undergrad and were getting a legal degree to kind of supplant that. Um, not the case at all. As a matter of fact, in I remember in torts, which is one of the early, you know, one L classes, uh, in tort law when they get to pro rata versus, you know, different forms of distribution of damages when you have multiple plaintiffs or multiple, you know, kind of a breakdown. And I mean, the people in the room that would shudder at trying to figure out the difference between 60% and 40%. And I, look, I'm not trying to be insulting anyone. We, we all have different, different reactions, right, to, to different things. But I just, I would look around and say, it's, it's not that hard. I don't understand why, why. But yeah, if you want to scare off a lawyer, just ask them what, you know, 11 times 15 is, and that'll make their head spin. That's the way to break down a lawyer who's being intimidating, right? Or, or who's being kind of nasty, no bedside manner. Just to ask them, ask them for a quick, uh, throw a math joke at them and watch them just spin around in circles. So yeah, that's a, that's a good way to get rid of them for sure. Uh, no, that's a good one. Yeah. Cause there was no math. That's uh, that's for sure. Except when you get the bill at the end, there's a lot of numbers on that one. That there are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So when you're advising people on how to build up a good tribe of mentors, of masterminds to rely on, of collaborators to go to. What's your typical advice there? How do you advise someone to find that uh, yin to the yang, so to speak, like you said, of being a visionary or an implementer and looking for your counterpart? So most people are not going to find the yang. Everybody wants to hang out with people like them which is the problem. Like when you go to hire a coach, you should find one that you disagree with and then listen and then make the right choice. Like not that you have to listen to everything they say perfectly, but you need that person with the opposite skill set. That's why. So for me, my ideal client is your law firm buddies who, when you ask them what's 40%, they go, I, uh, like they need me and I go in and I show them how to do it. Um, so that's what you have to ask yourself, which takes, you know, look in the mirror. Who are you? What are your skill sets? And that's the other hard part. People don't even understand what they're great at because it's so natural to them that they don't value it. And that's something like you have to come up. We started with imposter syndrome. That's imposter syndrome, right? They don't value the things that they are great at. So that's number one, figuring out who you are, being honest at where you struggle, and then finding people not to help you um, fix your part of that struggle, just to do it. Like there's a book I'm reading now. It's called uh, Who Not How. Right. Don't ask me how to do this. Just do it for me and make sure it's good and tell me what I need to do and let's move on. 
So I think that's a big part of it is learning to let go. We're told we have to do it all ourselves. That's the biggest lie. Get help. Yeah, that's great advice. So how do you help people to, what are, what are the keys to developing a profit first organization and system for their business? So Profit First is a system by Mike Michalowicz. It it starts off with changing the equation. So the standard equation everyone is told is sales minus expenses equals profit, which means profit is last. It's a leftover. It's an afterthought. It's something you learn at tax time when your CPA says, congratulations, you're profitable. Here's how much you owe in taxes, which leads to two questions. Where is that money? At which point they laugh at you and say you spent it. And then the next question is, how in the hell am I supposed to pay that tax bill? Which causes people to freak out. Profit first fixes all those problems. The first thing we do is change the equation to sales minus profit equals expenses, which means you take your profit first and you constrain your expenses. It's like lifestyle inflation. Oh, I've got a million dollars in revenue. I can afford this. No, you can't. So you've really got to make sure that you constrain your expenses. And then what Mike did is he created a real simple system. Many of you have heard of the envelope system. Your, your grandparents probably used it. You know, you get your paycheck and you put the, the, you know, the gas money in the gas envelope, the food money in the food envelope, the rent money in the rent envelope. Well, we do the same thing, except we use bank accounts. And so we have an account where all the money comes in. And so it's clear for you to see where the money came. And then we just allocate it based on percentages to your profit first, your pay because you deserve to be paid. And then we put money aside for the taxes because when tax time comes, just again today, I can't tell you how many times, everyone who implements this, it's always the same story. Tax time came. I got a bill I wasn't expecting. And then I looked at my tax account and I had the money. And as much as I hated to pay the taxes, I, ha I was able to stroke a check. Tax time was no longer fearful and stressful. And then what's left over now, that's what you go spend. And again, you still have to look at your spending and challenge your business spending. Too often, everyone says, well, it's in a business expense. Oh, it's a tax write-off. Oh, you got to spend money to make money. All three of those are false. Right? They are not how you need to look at your business expenses. Is this dollar going to help me generate revenue and is it going to put profit in my pocket? If not, why am I spending it? Why am I just letting money leak out of my business? And employees love to spend money. It's not theirs. They, they go shopping all the time. You know, so you've got to learn to put these constraints inside and, and make sure that you run a lean and mean kind of business where you do that. And this is not about profits above people. I tell my people, pay your people well, right? Take care of them because they're the ones who are taking care of you. So this isn't about being miserly. It's about being appropriate with your money and your spending. And really what we're talking about here is incremental steps, baby steps, small steps, and how those small steps eventually turn into massive results. So what's really the starting point for all of this? What's the one point that these business owners, all anyone who's listening to this needs to go back to, to start on this path towards a stronger and healthier profit first system? 
So people don't implement. We talked about that, right? So I'll make it simple for you. Open one bank account, name it profit, and every month just take 1% of your sales and put it in the profit account. Three months later, look at it and go, hmm, that's interesting, right? And if your business isn't hurting and you're paying your bills, double it. Put 2% in there. Six months later, look at that money. And if that's of interest to you, well, then go read the book. Start taking the next step. Start cranking it up and realizing that these little baby steps will get you to a highly profitable place. If you just go up 1% a quarter, end of three years, you have a 12% profit margin, right? And you won't even miss it. You, you won't miss the savings. And now the pressure's gone. The business is running. You've got profit to go out and enjoy your life, go on vacation, because you shouldn't be working in your business all the time. Go have fun and enjoy. Yeah, it's wonderful. Really, really cool. So who have been the coaches, mentors, and masterminds, aside from Mike, who you've you've partnered with, right, and have had a, a great relationship, it sounds like, who have been the coaches, mentors, and masterminds along the way for you who have really helped you to get to this point? So I think number one is books. As you see, I have a ton of them. Um, cheapest, easiest way to learn. Podcasts, right? Again, cheap, easy way to learn. And then I've been part of um, paid mastermind groups. So I was part of um, something that was called RBT that no longer exists, but it was uh, it's Ramit Shetty and his whole group. Um, I'm part of 48 Days Eagles, which is Dan Miller's group. I'm part of Iron Sharpens Iron, which is Aaron Walker's group. I've been to Tony Robbins. I've been to Brendan Bruchard. I've spent well over $100,000 on learning. Um, so it's going to all these different things at the appropriate time, taking courses, whether they be online um, and you just constantly keep improving and changing and implementing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. I try to take in and with audiobooks, my audible account is, is like my learning encyclopedia. Really. If you were to look at my audible library, what I spend a lot of time on is self-improvement, right. To some degree. And that might be books on, you know, a particular skill set that I'm focused on and I'll just read and listen to several books over, you know, in a series of kind of engulfing myself in a particular area, or um, it might be books that are just overall self-improvement, you know, Think and Grow Rich, the famous ones like, like that, I, you know, I'll go, I could go down the list, but it's the same list that everyone's heard everywhere else. So um, honestly, you know what? I think people need to get off of that list and start going. There are a ton of lesser known great books out there that people need to go find. What do you got? What's your, what's say your top three that might be off the beaten path that you'd suggest to people to listen to? So one of them is Living Forward. It's Michael Hyatt's book, How to Create Your Life Plan. Because if you don't know what you're doing in life, you know, your life drives your business. Your business doesn't drive your life. So figure out your life. Um, the other one that I like is Keith Cunningham, The Road Less Stupid. That's totally for business owners. Um, so that's another one that, that people don't, um, know. 
And honestly, I think the one right now that's hot is Who Not How, hmm. uh, which is it's not it's Dan Sullivan's book, but Dan Sullivan didn't write it. Okay, Benjamin Hardy wrote it, and he even tells you in the book because Dan said, "I need this book." And he says, I don't want to, like, how do I write this book? No, who's going to write it for me? Right? So Benjamin took all his ideas and put it in the book for him. And, Amazing. you know, that it's a different way of thinking, I think. So those are probably three off the, the top that are somewhat different. Um, there's a ton more. No, that's good. I haven't read either any of those books, and I think I'm going to put them on the top of my Audible wish list. And uh, in the next few months, I'll be going through those. But that's the thing is, I think you're right. You need to find what works for you. You mentioned podcasts. There are plenty of YouTube series you could watch as well. There's Canopy. I mean, the amount of informational content that's at people's fingertips really on your phone on your tablet on your playstation on your computer on your fire stick you can get it almost anywhere and rather well, wait, than I, I, from from the way this is going i think they just need to listen to you and they'll have everything they need <laughs> from your mouth to their ears right just uh that would be awesome um yeah no i that's the thing actually i've mentioned this on on this podcast before one of the things about this podcast is I'm basically interviewing people that I'm interested in learning from, and hopefully the listeners are also embarking on that journey and kind of going through this cycle of being exposed to different people in different areas. And I, I really think there's something interesting and unique in every person, we're as unique as we are different from each other. And you can learn something from literally everyone. And I, I really do think that that's the exploration of this show, ultimately, is that. I've got two guests for you. I've had them on my podcast. Uh, Ali Awad, he is the, I think he's called the CEO lawyer. So he understands the business of legal. And then uh, Kristen David, she was just on my, uh, my other podcast. 85-hour-a-week lawyer, had enough figured out how to create systems and processes in the law firm. And now that's what she does. She spends a third of the year in France, a third of the year in Seattle, a third of the year traveling, making more money than she did as, you know, running a law practice. Amazing, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And they both come at it from the legal angle. So for you, as you're building your business, they'll definitely help you how to systematize process and how to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And that that really is. I mean, if you read, for example, the E-Myth, which, by the way, has a variety of versions of E-Myth, including the E-Myth lawyer, that's a, exactly... E-Myth real estate. There it is. Yeah, right there on the <laughs> screen. So, yeah, that is one of the keys to that book series, right, is exactly that. When you go early on in entrepreneurial life cycle, the first thing you do is I'm going to work for myself. And then you find out that you're a terrible boss and a terrible employee, right? You're, you hate yourself on both sides of that. So the, really the key is finding the way to scale your business. Now, the, the tough thing for me is what about when you run into issues where you're either in a rut and you're just almost impossible to scale just because you can't get enough traction or when you're in a business line that's not very scalable. And I know that there, you know, a lot of them are, but there are a few out there that just really 
to get them to scale is extremely difficult. What's what's your advice there? What should we do? I think everything is scalable. You just got to figure out how to scale it. You've got to think outside the box. Um, if you're in a rut, find the people who've already walked the path. Go follow them. And you don't need, like, this is where everyone go, oh, I got to go follow this expert. No, follow the person ahead of you, right? That's smart. Yeah. Two car lengths ahead is good enough. Yep. And they can relate to you. Like, if I want to go learn golf, I don't need Tiger Woods. Ain't going to hell do me a hell of a lot of good, right? I, I need a guy who can help me where I am at today and who can relate to my struggles today. Very interesting. Yeah. Great advice. So Rocky, if individuals want to reach out to you, they need help getting their business to be profit first. And will you, by the way, just quick sidebar, because I know that we have a few nonprofit professionals that listen to the show routinely. So would you also work with a nonprofit organization or is it mainly for profit only? I There is a whole uh, profit first side for nonprofits. Um, and I don't remember what it's called, but Nonprofits are still businesses. They still need to make effective use of their donations or however it is that they they do things. So either or is fine. You, It doesn't matter. You still need to run your business in the same way. You need to deliver value and essentially be profitable. So right. yeah, either one is fine. Cool. And so what's the best way aside from profitcomesfirst.com, which by the way, anyone who's listening to this, go back to the show notes, wherever you caught this episode, you'll see the link right there that you can hit to go visit Rocky's site. What's the other best way to reach you if somebody wants to reach out with a question? So if they go to the site, they'll see that there's, there's links there to ask a question. If they want to check out Mike's book, they can get the first two chapters of along with a bunch of other bonus material, see if it's worth buying for themselves. That's fine. Um, there's also links to my podcast, Profit Answer Man, where I teach how to implement the system, right? I don't hold anything back. I don't, like, if you email me, I'll answer your questions. There's no paywall. There's none of that kind of stuff. Um, it's all about helping and helping others be successful. Love that. Rocky, thanks so much for your time and the great advice. Really appreciate it. Hope you had a good time on the show. Thank you, Tony, for being here. And to those of listening, you know, one of the best things for podcasters is to get ratings and reviews. It helps to get this show out to other people. So if you like what Tony's doing, be nice to him, leave a rating, leave a review, and help him to help more people. <laughs>